Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Last of Us Nerds podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jacob, joined as always by my good friend, Tom. For those of you returning after a uh, long break, uh, we're excited to have you back with us. For any new listeners, this is a spoiler-free weekly podcast recapping HBO's The Last of Us. Tom and I are two passionate fans of the game that are bringing that love to this podcast as we offer deep dives into each episode, compare it to the game, and just talk about something we both care deeply about. Again, though, this is a spoiler-free, or this is spoiler-free, so uh, those of you that haven't played the game, you're not going to be in any danger here. Now let me welcome in Tom and have him explain to you guys the format of each episode. Hey, Jacob. So, mission accomplished. Kansas City, got. we're back. We won the Super Bowl uh, after uh, Kathleen messed everything up. Um, that was, that was a fun trip. Uh, I'm glad to be back with you here today. I want to make something super clear. So obviously if you've been listening to the show, you know that we're very careful about not spoiling the audience. I want to be very clear about one thing, obviously this episode, and obviously we're going to go over the details of what happens in this episode, but this episode ends on a pretty big cliffhanger about Joel and his fate. We are not going to give anything away when it comes to that. And in fact, we're pretty much not going to be talking about or really hinting at the future whatsoever we're going to be super careful we might need to edit this podcast if we say anything that even gives anything slightly away but just want to make clear uh you're okay here we're not going to give anything away that was not in this episode we are going to be diving deep though on what happens in this episode the characters the motivations their feelings our feelings uh lots of feelings were happening in this episode and at the very end we will have a clear spoiler break and then at that point We'll, we'll let you know when we're going to be talking spoilers for the people that know the plot of The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2. We're definitely going to be talking about The Last of Us Part 2 uh, in this week's episode as well. Uh, and along the way, we're going to have some awards to give out. Uh, we might have a crafting upgrade if we want to improve something. We might have a Molotov hot take if we want to chuck one out. Uh, and at the end, we'll go over the best video gaming done by a character, the MVP of the week, the baby girl, the best moment from the game brought to life, and the best change that they made. Uh, from this episode. So, with that said, Jacob, what did you think of this episode? Another uh, stress-free week of watching The Last of Us with uh, nothing to get all emotional or worried about. <laughs> um, what an episode. It was It was an interesting one as we watch uh, Joel start to come to grips with his past, and it's kind of a continuation of where we left off the final scene of the last episode, uh, some nine, 10 days prior. So we kind of are witnessing Joel realize that he is, uh, that Ellie is becoming like a daughter to him and kind of his worst nightmare could be happening again. It was, a uh, from a standpoint of how it compared to the game, it, it was interesting because big picture, it accomplished all the same things and ha- hit all the, a lot of the same notes, uh, little picture. There was a lot of dialogue and, uh, moments like that, that stayed the same. I think kind of in between that, there was a lot of things that changed for the better, I think in a lot of regards, but it was quite a bit different, uh, and how they got to certain parts. But overall, I really liked the episode and, uh, the more I've kind of rewatched it and seen more clips of it and everything, I like it more and more. So it was another fantastic episode. Okay, so I mean, we've pretty much ha- each had like one of these every week by now, but I'm pretty confident this is my favorite episode of the six so far. 
Um, you might, I don't, I don't know how you feel about that, but I like personally, it brought to life maybe the most memorable scene from the game. Certainly one of them, uh, with the Joel Nelly argument scene, which we call the ranch scene, which we're going to talk a lot about. I'm sure it gave us another super emotional, fantastic Joel and Tommy scene that for the most part was really not in the game, Mm -hmm. uh, that really explored Joel's character and his demons and, and what he's wrestling with the whole time in a way that was really emotional and interesting. Uh, and Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, if there was any doubts and there were with certainly some people when the casting announcement happened, they should be fully gone now. Uh, they blew me away in this episode, especially in that one argument ranch scene that we're going to talk a lot about but also in that joel and tommy scene i just mentioned they were both so incredible and obviously this is a slightly different joel than we get in the game he's a, he's more uh he, he's more vulnerable at times for sure he's giving more of an effort to connect with other people for sure um, but a lot of the characters the same but i'm really enjoying pedro's performance he's really making this character his own and even even had a, a big line that he put in there that we're going to talk about as well. Um, loved all the stuff that we got with Tommy. It was great to see Tommy again, of course, after all this time. Uh, Gabriel Luna, I thought, did a great job again. The This episode really builds off what happened in the last episode, and obviously the way that they're processing Henry and Sam and what happened there, but also it continued the heavy focus on these characters' main fears. So we got near the end of the last episode that Ellie is scared of ending up alone. We know Joel is scared of loss and failing the one that he needs to protect. Um, We got a lot of that from the Sam and Ellie conversation and also the Joel and Henry conversation. He was talking about, Oh, it's easier for them because they don't have anyone relying on them. We now we have a better understanding of why Joel said that now and a better understanding of his psyche. Um, And this is just such a, a huge episode for both Joel and Ellie and obviously their relationship. I think Craig Mazin summed it up really well uh, when kind of talking about that aspect of fear and that Joel makes Ellie less scared, which she said during that uh, big scene in her bedroom. But Ellie makes Joel absolutely terrified. And it's kind of this episode or those two ideas just kind of ramming up against each other with the two of them having to kind of come to grips with both of those feelings that they have. So it made for an interesting dynamic throughout the whole episode. Um, It was a, I mean, Joel and Ellie, it's a, that scene we talk a lot about um, Joel kind of opening up, but it was also Ellie opening up in this episode as well, because uh, she doesn't, show a whole lot of emotion either and she certainly did in this episode and that scene specifically also we got jackson um notable location probably the most advanced civilization that we've seen uh to this point certainly number one on my power rankings of the the places (laughs) we've been so far and, and groups that we've seen so far this is probably number one and and hold up in in uh, Bill and Frank's protected uh, home is probably number two. Everything else is not that great, to be honest. <laughs> uh, maybe the uh, uh, Florence and Marlin uh, make it make a case here, but 
Um, any really interesting ways that they explored of how you could still have a functioning society in this world and the way that they're doing it in Jackson. Um, and obviously some interesting thoughts along the way. So anything you want to say before we go ahead and get into this? Let's dive into it. It's going to be a exciting one to break down. Part one, the river of death. So somewhere in Wyoming, an old man who we learned from the credits, I don't think they ever say their names out loud, is named Marlon. He comes home to his remote cabin to find Joel with a gun drawn on him and his wife, Florence. Joel and Ellie ask for information about Tommy, the Fireflies, as well as where they currently are on the map. They haven't seen Tommy, we find out, or anyone that might look remotely like Joel. And while they get Fireflies in the summer, they seem unaware of the Resistance group. Marlon points out their location on the map. Joel made sure the information was correct by asking Florence the same question before Marlon arrived and tells Marlon to he better be pointing at the same spot. Marlon and Florence do not seem too distressed by the whole situation of having a gun on them, and they even chuckle at Ellie's feistiness. Uh, we learn that most of the nearby cities and settlements are now overrun with infected, big surprise, and they do have some advice on the best way west, go east. Marlon warns not to go past the river, because what awaits is death. Bodies have been left by the river as a warning. Marlon and Florence don't know by whom, but they just don't go past the river. As Joel and Ellie leave the cabin, Joel has a panic attack, but recovers and blames it on the cold air. They arrive at what they think is the River of Death, but set up camp before the night, uh, before crossing. Uh, and at night, Ellie asks Joel what he would do after, assuming their mission to save the world is successful. And Joel tells her he would raise sheep on a quiet ranch. Ellie tells Joel that she wanted to be an astronaut. When she was stuck in the QZ and staring at a wall, the only other place to look was up. And Joel correctly guesses Ellie's favorite astronaut, Sally Ride. Ellie tells Joel about trying to save Sam with her blood. She knows it was stupid, but she wanted to save him. And she asks Joel if the vaccine will work. Joel assures her once again, if Marlene says they can do it, they can do it. Joel volunteers to take both watches as Ellie sleeps, but he wakes up to find Ellie standing watch over him. He had passed out. Joel is upset that he messed up his watch and that Ellie didn't wake him. But Ellie did her watch just like Joel taught her. Ellie checked her six, found the high ground, which instantly makes her better than half the Overwatch teammates I played with. Uh, and Joel tells her to wake him up next time. In the morning, Joel and Ellie cross the river without running into any problems, and Ellie tries to teach herself how to whistle and tells Joel that she should teach her, or that he should teach her how to hunt. They find a hydroelectric electric dam, excuse me, and another river, and Ellie asks if this is the river of death. Joel pulls out his map, but before they can even take 10 steps, they are surrounded by an armed group on horses. This group has a trained dog that apparently can smell if people are infected, and it will attack them if they are. Joel freezes yet again with another panic attack as the dog inspects Ellie, but once he hears Ellie playing with the dog, they both pass the test and Joel relaxes. Joel says he's looking for his brother, and a woman asks what his name is. The group brings Joel and Ellie through the gates of their protected community, which is called Jackson, and Joel sees Tommy working. He calls out to him, and they embrace in a hug. Brothers reunited once more. Let's uh, start back at the beginning of that, because the Florence and Marlon scene was an interesting one that uh, neither of those characters were in the game. That whole scene wasn't in the game. What did you think of uh, adding that to the start of this episode? 
I thought it was nice how they gave us a couple people that seemed nice and cool and they didn't murder them. Um, <laughs> this is great. I'm sure a lot of the audience was looking for a win like this. They got they got a small win here. Um, uh, I thought it was great. And another uh, example of adding representation in this game of some indigenous people, uh, to Native American people. Makes sense. Native Americans have been uh, living on the land a, a lot longer than anybody else here. It would make sense that uh, that some of them would be doing just fine out in a in a remote uh, area of the of the wilderness. Um, I loved how unbothered they both were <laughs> by, <laughs> by having a gun on them, and uh, how they were obviously they got a kick out of out of seeing Ellie. It's, it's probably been a long time since they saw a kid or a teenager. Um, and they really vibed with her her feistiness, but I, I thought I thought it was a, a great scene. I'm happy no one died, uh, and it seemed like they all got along pretty well. Absolutely lovely couple. I I wish the best for them. Uh, I I laughed at they're so just unbothered and out there by themselves that they didn't even know the fireflies were a group. So when Ellie said, "Not the animal, the people," when uh, Florence starts laughing, saying they're firefly people was absolutely great just 10 out of 10 love them uh as you said i'm very glad that they did not die an interesting thing that maybe i'm reading too much into and it might just be ellie's sarcasm do we think ellie views them as she calls them 90 at one point she calls them like a thousand at one point uh years old because no one actually old survives in this world it's probably part of it. It's just probably she hasn't seen a bunch of, uh, you know, elderly people. I would think so. That's definitely part of it. I mean, they were they were old. They were yeah. definitely old. They weren't. I didn't think they were that close to uh, ninety or a thousand. I didn't even think they were that old to to reference him as old as she did. But the other kind of noteworthy thing about this episode is the panic attack as Joel and Ellie are leaving. It's definitely new. That was not in the game either. And I mean, it's an interesting little wrinkle to add in there because uh, it makes sense with as we're learning uh, Joel's feelings throughout the episode. It it makes sense. It, It was also interesting how Ellie reacted to that and the fact that I mean, she was reacting earnestly, but I mean, stuff like if you die, I'm fucked only adds to the pressure he's feeling in that moment. So I I guess, what did you think of of kind of introducing these kind of panic attacks Joel's having? I liked it. So it's very similar to the way that they, um, that we talked about in the first episode, how Joel's PTSD is more visible for sure in the show than it was in the game. And you saw him sort of like stand there like a deer in the headlights when he was flashing back to Sarah in episode one before he beats the shit out of Lee. Uh, and yeah, and like we talked about with his realization, however conscious at the end of the last episode, he is terrified. And understandably, this is why these panic attacks are happening because he's right back in the situation he didn't want to find himself in. He's scared he's going to fail another young girl that he cares about and he's going to have to relive that trauma over again. And his body is not cooperating with that (laughs) fact. So I think it makes a ton of sense. I I also, we'll talk about it here a little bit later. I also found it interesting when it seems, uh, and Mason talked about this a little bit too, when the panic attacks stop uh, is also very interesting later in the episode for sure. That leads us to the campfire scene. 
as they make uh, make camp for the night. And Ellie asks an interesting question, allows us to learn some more about uh, both Joel and Ellie and asking what they would want to do. And we find out that Ellie wants to be an astronaut. And it was a it was a reasoning that made sense, but uh, Ellie was um, as it was just interesting to me to see this specific scene was also not in the game as well. There wasn't a lot between, as we've said before, between Pittsburgh and Jackson. There was nothing basically. So this opening twenty-ish minutes is not in the game in any way. So getting these types of moments are something that I enjoy because these are the types of moments that would be happening kind of as your trek across the country that we just weren't really privy to in the game. Literally nothing, by the way. Like, yes, uh, when Henry killed himself, it cuts to black and small difference is that actually it goes from summer to fall. So it cuts to black and it just says fall. And yep. then when it comes back, you're like right outside of Jackson. Uh, you like you can see a sign that says like Jackson up this way. So this this whole like trying to figure out exactly where he is and trying to figure out which settlement he's in and asking people if they've seen Tom like that part isn't really there. He had a pretty good idea of where about the settlement was uh, that that Tommy was at. So that's definitely new. I, I love that wrinkle of why Ellie wanted to be the astronaut. The detail of her wanting to be an astronaut is in the game, but we never, that totally makes sense, right? You're in a QZ. You probably don't think you're ever going to leave. And there's a wall right in front of you. Where else would you daydream but looking up at the moon and up at the stars? So I love that little wrinkle. Uh, Joel, once again, needing to reassure her. This is maybe like the fourth or fifth time uh, that they've been like, late at night or about to embark on a dangerous thing and Ellie looks to Joel for reassurance and he is always willing to give it right there. That's that's just part of his dad DNA. But uh, I thought all that was great. It was I mean to that dad DNA part, him telling her to get down from there, you're gonna break your neck when she's looking at uh the Northern Lights as well is just kind of fatherly Joel kicking in once again. It was interesting that this was the first time Ellie revealed that she tried to save Sam. This is three months after uh, that moment. So I just thought that it was, there's a lot of time there together. So this, it, it taking that long for her to kind of be comfortable to share that is uh, interesting as well. But um, as you mentioned, Joel falls asleep on his watch which as we later come to find out is kind of feeding into his belief that he's failing Ellie repeatedly. And the line that he has on that is I'm responsible for you. Okay. And it's interesting. Joel very much looks at this as him being responsible for her and not as really any kind of like teamwork or uh, teammate type of dynamic at all. He just very much feels he has to protect her. And she is this kind of innocent little girl that can't really do anything for herself. And uh, you see that, I think, in this scene and that kind of dialogue right there that Ellie is very much like she did everything she's been taught. But even then, Joel is kind of disappointed and frustrated in himself that he let himself fall asleep 
so that Ellie had to be put in that position. And I, so I, I mean, and he trusts her, especially yeah. in cases of emergency. We've seen him, her, you know, him tell her to get out her gun and, and do different things. He definitely trusts her by this point, but I think he, it's going back to just his sensibility that I, I'm the adult. I have to do everything to take care of her and she shouldn't have to do anything to take care of me. And you're completely right. And definitely Joel, I think would be better off if he accepts that it's okay to rely on Ellie to be able to do some of these things because you need to be able to sleep. Sleeping is important. <laughs> you ran out of coffee. You don't have any more coffee to wake you back up. Uh, even if you're having some nightmares, your body needs to recharge. And and obviously, because Joel, Joel fails in his attempt to take both watches. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think you're 100% spot on there. We also get a, a familiar scene to the game Ellie's trying to learn how to whistle. How'd that go for it? Not, not well. Uh, and again, this is another moment of, of a type of interaction that there's so many of these throughout the game where you're just like wandering around as Joel. And you're like picking stuff up and you're like, you know, we might be looting a body or you might be doing this. And behind you just hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what, what are you doing? I'm, I'm trying to learn how to whistle. You don't know how to whistle. Does it sound like I know how to whistle? It's just. So, so many of those great interactions, which were not cutscenes or anything, but just small little moments that they work in that they're not like making a whole scene out of, but they just put it in for like two lines as they're like going from here to there. Love that they're honoring the game in that regard and, and likes to do that. Arriving at the dam was such a great dynamic between the two of them. Uh, first, you get an Ellie pun, which Joel says she's no Will Livingston. Uh, and it reminded then... me of. I think it was Vegas Vacation where they make all the all the damn puns on the damn tour. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And so yeah. that was fantastic. And then <laughs> he try he tells her what it is and then immediately is like, don't even ask. I don't know how it works, which reminded me back to the siphoning the gas and how he tried to explain it. And Ellie realized he was lying. Uh, he doesn't even try it anymore. He tells her, just don't even ask. And then she, her getting mad. Well, you could have ju- just at least made something up. Uh, I love that dynamic. It shows how uh, used to each other those two have grown. And uh, again, we've said this a number of times, but that is very typical Joel and Ellie from the game. And it's those little moments, the whistling, that damn scene that have completely sold me on uh, Pedro and Bella as Joel and Ellie. We should also note that. Most of this stretch of the game that takes place over this episode actually happens at that dam that they that they walk by. Yeah. So when we'll explain sort of where the different parts break up, but where they first run into Tommy and Maria is they're trying to make their way through to Jackson and they come across the dam. And they try to get through and they're already there and they pull guns on him. Uh, and then Tommy recognizes Joel and that's where they embrace from there. But. That dam, nice to see the dam, even if we're even if we're not actually spending time with it. But I think it makes sense the way they changed it and having it in Jackson. So on the note of the dam, as we uh, moments after we arrive there, Joel and Ellie are surrounded, and we have uh, who we learn to be people from Jackson, but obviously a little hostile and worried about who these two random people are wandering the wilderness in the middle of winter. Uh, it leads to a dog test, which 
as we come to find out, um, might be better than those Fedra scanners. So dogs are currently undefeated uh, in the show so far. The uh, Mercy, the the dog in in the pilot in Austin, Outbreak Day, recognized that Nana had turned even before she was even really doing anything. She was just sitting there. Uh, Didn't want to go back in the house. Ran away when Sarah stupidly went in the house. R.I.P. Sarah, sorry. Uh, And then also here you would be worried because obviously, like you said, shows up on a scanner red when Ellie gets scanned, but the dog is the better judge of character can tell that Ellie's not really infected and isn't, there's nothing wrong with her. There's nothing monstrous. There's nothing changing uh, in a way that is threatening to other people. And it's just a, is a very good dog. What can I say? Yeah. I, there was a moment where I wasn't sure if this was a bluff uh, as we, um, as Tommy later explains when they're in the dining hall that he, he had the line about we're all, we're all bark. And I thought, huh, I wonder if the dog can even sense it. But yeah, obviously I remembered Mercy. Shout out to Mercy in episode one, who definitely had sensed that Nana Adler was infected. Uh, but as you kind of said, this is definitely not how they get into Jackson in the game it's a lot more there are guns pointed on them but only when they're at the wall and it's not nearly as hostile all the same we get to what was still an emotional joel and tommy reunion what'd you think of finally getting to see those two hug once again it was great another difference that we talked about on previous episodes was these two, we got the sense they were more estranged than they are in the show in the game. And one detail we get in this part of the game is that Joel tells Ellie the last words that Tommy had said to him were, I don't ever want to see your goddamn face again. I was like, OK, but he's going to help us. And Joel's like, well, we're going to find out. And it's so it's sort of this moment of uncertainty when you run into Tommy the first time. Like, what's the dynamic going to be? But it still ends up the same. They hug. They embrace specifically the way that Tommy was like standing up on the thing working and then had to walk down the stairs and run to Joel and hug him. I'm always thinking of Game of Thrones a lot of the time, but it reminded me exactly what happened with Sansa and John in season six. It like almost was shot the same way, Um, but it was, it was fun. Obviously Joel tells him I came here to save you, but he laughs about it. But obviously this introduces a different, uh, a difficult dynamic for Joel where he came here trying to save him, but he's doing great. Tommy, Tommy's, uh, Tommy's killing it. He's, uh, in a good community. Uh, he has a wife they're expecting as we're going to learn, but it was great to see them embrace and, and have a lot of emotion in that moment. And it then- also was a interesting dynamic that, uh, appeared to come about with Ellie in that, Maybe a little bit of jealousy there between Joel or seeing Joel hug Tommy. She definitely looks uncomfortable and she's yeah, yeah I definitely think she's jealous. She's not, she hasn't gotten a, a hug from Joel. So <laughs> she wants that hug. She has not gotten it as of now. That'll I think that's everything for this part. So let's dive into Jackson and what we learn once we get inside the walls. Part two, family. In a mess hall, Joel and Ellie are given a proper meal, which, according to Ellie, uh, might be the first she's ever had, uh, by Tommy and the woman who brought him in named Maria. 
Ellie notices a teenage girl staring at her, and she tells her off with a, what? What are you looking at? Uh, and there's some mutual distrust and awkwardness at the table. There's some awkward things that are unsaid between Joel and Tommy. Maria doesn't trust Joel. Joel and Ellie don't trust Maria. Ellie points out that Maria's group threatened to kill them. Tommy insists, though, that it's all bite. They're just trying to scare off anyone that might try them. And the bodies that they had heard about were people that did try them. Joel asks Maria if they could have a moment for just family. But Tommy grabs Maria's hand and tells him she actually is family. Turns out they're married. Uh, at Ellie's prompting, Joel gives a very non-heartfelt congrats. Tommy and Maria give them a tour of the town. We learn that staying off the radio is one of the ways they keep this place quiet and safe. Jackson has a lot. They have a house of worship, a school, a laundry, a jail if they need it, which they currently don't, uh, electricity from the dam, they have sewage, they have plumbing, they have water heaters, they have lights. This place is legit. They take turns on patrols, hunting, harvesting, etc. Tommy says everything is collectively shared, and Joel says, so, communism. And Tommy says, no, what, Com communism? You, what, no, I'm a, I'm a good old Texas boy. We, we don't, we don't, no, this is, this is not communism, but Maria corrects him, this is a commune. This is communism. So, yes, they're communists. Uh, and Joel and Tommy exchange a little bit of an awkward glance. Uh, Ellie meets an adorable pony named Shimmer. And Maria suggests giving Joel and Tommy some time to chat, which Ellie does not like. She does not want to be left alone with other people without Joel. Joel and Tommy grab some whiskey, and we get the first of these Joel and Tommy chats. Tommy asks about Tess, and later Ellie, and Joel chooses to lie twice. He says Tess is fine, but she's not fine. Uh, and Ellie is the daughter of some firefly muckety-muck. Tommy says the Fireflies do have a base at the University of Eastern Colorado, which is a week's ride south. A dangerous ride, but doable. And Joel asks Tommy to join them on the way, but Tommy says he can't. They discuss the fact that Tommy never told Joel about Jackson or Maria. Tommy says that he has to follow their rules and that they're very protective of this place. And Joel asked if he's the kind of wrong people, quote unquote, that they're worried about showing up. Joel assumes that Tommy judges him for the way that they survived by killing all those years ago, but Tommy says he actually doesn't, but it does haunt him. We murdered people. There were other ways. We just weren't any good at them. Then Tommy hits Joel with the hammer. He's going to be a father, and he's scared to death. He needs his big brother's support. But I don't know, he says. I feel like I'd be a good dad. And in one of the toughest looks for our guy, Joel, to date, he says, well, I guess we'll find out. Tommy is rightly upset by this being the best that Joel can do and says, just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me. Joel storms out, as you may have noticed by now, he often does when a conversation gets too close to Sarah. And outside, he has another panic attack and he latches onto a frozen metal pole. Joel sees a woman facing away from him that has very similar hair that Sarah did. And then he sees her pick up her daughter. And for a moment, Joel stands there thinking about what could have been. He could be a grandfather by now. But, of course, the woman turns around. It isn't Sarah. And Joel snaps out of it. So, with regards to some of the main differences here. So, like I mentioned before, pretty much all of this stretch 
is taking place at the dam that we saw as they're trying to get electricity back online for the town. Joel definitely does not open up to Tommy in the way that we see later in this episode, but he does pretty much, as soon as they're one-on-one and they have a chance to chat, he pretty much tells him everything about Ellie's immunity and why they're here pretty much straight away. But maybe the biggest change is Tommy and Maria are not expected. This is a new wrinkle Mm -hmm. that they're throwing at us. I love this. I'm curious for your thoughts on it, Jacob. It adds a interesting dynamic that, like you said, isn't in the game. And I like it because of what it kind of symbolizes in Tommy and Joel's relationship. It obviously leads to some uh, tension in their first conversation, but it is also a more rational reason for why Tommy wouldn't eventually want to take Ellie to uh, the campus in the game. It's not, it's nothing as, as kind of concrete as, Tommy is going to be a dad, which is a much better reason, I think, for wanting for him wanting to stay around. So an interesting addition, but one that I really liked to that note about Tommy and Joel's first conversation. It's quite a bit different from the game. It had some similar themes. They basically took the one conversation. They hash out everything in the game in one conversation And they kind of split that into two different ones with this one kind of being a lot about their past and bringing a lot of those feelings and emotions and stuff like that up to the surface. It's interesting that I like it this way because it it led to um, a lot I mean, the second conversation is phenomenal. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it this also allows you to see how much kind of tension is still there, which is something that is in the the conversation they have in the game. But there's, I think, a lot more of it here. And as you said, the relationship between Tommy and Joel isn't great which is why we weren't sure about what that reunion would be like. But this is probably a better um, idea of what their relationship is like and why Tommy left him and went across the country to get away from him. So uh, I I like the overall idea of kind of splitting this into two conversations. What do you kind of think of it and, and kind of some of the things I touched on? And so you mentioned the tension. So obviously one big thing, especially with this version of Joel, is driving a lot of the attention is, like we talked about, he came here thinking or maybe hoping that he needed to show up here to save Tommy. And the fact that Tommy is doing so well, uh, and not only doing so well, but just doing so much better than Joel's been doing. Joel's basically lost everything. He's very confused about how he's feeling with his his, uh, attachment to Ellie now. He lost Test. He lost his place in Boston by having having to go on this journey, um, and and Tommy not only doesn't need to be saved, but he's doing great. And also, he made the conscious choice effectively to leave Joel behind in his life in order to join up here, which obviously there's some hard feelings about as well. Uh 
this is a slight note for Tommy. I, I maybe, maybe the setup would have been impossible for him to, to do this without getting caught. And I, I know the way he says it, where it's like, it, all they ask is to follow the rules and no radio is one of the rules. So like I did that. If I was Tommy, I feel like I would have, I would have tried to at least get the message out to Joel of like, Hey, I'm going down to this settlement. I can't, I can't tell you where it is, but I'm an, I'm doing okay. They said no radio, et cetera, et cetera. Or, or maybe you could tell where it is. That's, that, that's probably what I would have done if I was Tommy differently, but minor, minor criticisms of Tommy, who's obviously a very good guy, probably a better brother than Joel is at this point. Certainly more, uh, more supportive. Um, but there's obviously this dynamic now of Tommy becoming a father. And I love this for a few different reasons. I love it for the reason that obviously Tommy is so happy to see Joel, not only because he's his brother, but he's scared shitless and he knows Joel was a good dad. And he, he, heck, he might even think he might've gone through 20 years of his brother being closed off. And he might finally think, Oh, like this might be the key. I, I might be able to finally talk to him and he might be able to give me some good advice and he might be able to make me not scared and all that sort of dynamic. And Joel basically spits in his face and obviously he opens up later, but uh, I was really disappointed, obviously in Joel. There's a lot of moments in this story where you're just like, ah, Joel, come on, what are you doing? But that was, that was, that was tough. I did have one note that I I think I want to make a crafting upgrade on here of part of the dialogue of this initial conversation that they have with Tommy and Joel that we don't get in the show that it was in the game. I mentioned this in the spoiler portion last week, but when discussing this whole tortured past that they have in terms of what they had to do to survive and the fact that they did something similar to what Brian and the ambushers did of murdering people, taking their stuff and, and so on and so forth, especially early on in post outbreak, what, Joel makes his pitch initially to Tommy in the game to, hey, take Ellie. You This is for the Fireflies. This is for the good humanity. You collect the whole damn payment. And Tommy refuses. Like, I'll give you some gear, but no, like, I have a family. I'm not taking that girl off your hands. Like, I'm my place is here. And Joel says, this is how you're going to repay me for all those years I took care of us. And Tommy says, took care? That's what you call it? I got nothing but nightmares from those years. And Joel says, you survived because of me. And Tommy says, it wasn't worth it. I loved that sequence from the game. I feel like you could have inserted those lines in here and it still would like thematically and and with all the changes, it still would have worked really well. But I always found that concept so interesting. It's, It's not that Tommy wants to die. It's not that he wants to kill himself with regret over the things that he's done. But remember what they talked about Tommy initially. He wanted to be, he wants to be a hero, right? He wants to make a difference in the world. And he would rather be dead than have done those things that he did and had to have lived with that. And I, I always thought that was so interesting. I wish they would have inserted that part here. But other than that, I all no notes on the on the Tommy Joel stuff. I thought all of that was tremendous. I agree. There I I don't know that there was really any line that was in this conversation that was in the conversation in the game. It was the theme was kind of the same. But there wasn't anything taken verbatim from that conversation. I just think Joel has kind of a lot of resentment for Tommy in this scene. 
in that he doesn't need saving. He's thriving on his own. And now he has a family and Joel doesn't have any of that right now. Joel's like losing himself and he shows up to Tommy expecting to need to save him. And Tommy is quite the opposite of him right now. So I think that starts to shine through and it might be why there was a lot left unsaid in this conversation. And I think part of that is because of some of that resentment. Maybe Joel is really hesitant to actually tell the truth in that he says Tess is doing good. He doesn't tell the truth about why he has Ellie or that she's immune. And I do think Tommy sees through and knows that he's lying. He doesn't know the truth, obviously, but I, uh, I, I think Tommy can tell that he is not telling the truth in this, uh, in this situation. So it, it was a really interesting, it was a, it was an interesting scene. Do we need to do, do we need to do a, a Joel morality vibe check on this one? Because uh, not a great look for Joel overall. I think I think it's a pretty hard fail on uh, on the on the the vibe check for Joel. Uh, also, you're 100 percent right. Tommy sees through it, and I I love the fact that he just to- Tommy immediately feels guilty, even though obviously I think objectively looking at this conversation on the who is the asshole meter, it's not close. Joel is Joel is clearly the asshole in this conversation, but Tommy still feels bad from that one line of making Joel feel bad about Sarah. Of, just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me. And obviously we're going to get more in depth in the second conversation, but I love that T- Tommy's immediately the bigger man. He says, I, I, I know you're happy for me. It's just complicated for you. I get that. D- doesn't make Joel have to say anything there. Um, but uh, Tommy, Tommy's a good dude. Great. Yes. I very much like, especially this version of Tommy, the, the 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 line the the dialogue that made me chuckle a little bit was the part about communism uh and specifically Joel's reaction to Tommy when he realizes that they're communists as he kind of it was everything short of a shit eating grin as he looked at him and uh Tommy is having a uh some self-realization in that moment of what he's created in Jackson, a, a terrific scene. See, I couldn't tell if it was self-realization or if he was just scared of what Joel would think of, of him, like being in something with communism, <laughs> but either, either way, it was really funny. He was like, what? No, no, oh, no, no. Communism. No, 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 not us. No. Yeah. Surprisingly, the Texas boys did not want to be communists. Uh, my crafting upgrade. There is no Buckley in Jackson. And that is a huge, huge negative. Uh, Buckley in the game is Tommy's dog. And you get to walk by and pet Buckley in the game. Not having him in the show is inexcusable. Okay, but Ellie got to pet a dog, you know? So, like, they could have at least called that dog Buckley, and I would have felt a little bit better about it. That's that's fine. Yeah, the. The sequence of Buckley, you just walk by this old dog that's just sitting there chewing on a tennis ball. They're like, ah, he's not much of a guard dog, but he's good to have around. He's good good for morale. And you can you can reach down and scratch his ears, which is obviously uh, a huge test of the quality of video game these days. There's a whole Twitter account dedicated to can you pet the dog? A uh, great Twitter account that, that follows us. And you, you can pet the dog, the last of us, which, which confirms, if you hadn't believed us already, that it is, in fact... A good video game. <laughs> uh, Joel storms out of the 
conversation with Tommy, which leads to a very interesting moment. Another panic attack. Uh, what kind of comes of this one, though? So he sees this this woman that obviously reminds him of Sarah. And obviously, shout out to Nico Parker, who has that huge head of uh, frizzy hair that is very recognizable that we could instantly just be like, oh, yeah, he's thinking about Sarah right there, just from the back of someone's head, which is probably hard to do in a lot of situations. Uh, and yeah, it's really sad seeing this Sarah doppelganger pick up her daughter. And you have to think that Joel is, is thinking about what what he's lost and he, he could be grandpa Joel right now. Oh, grandpa Joel be a great grandpa, you know, especially had the apocalypse not happened and he had to murder a bunch of people and all that type of stuff. But uh, again, it's just it's just a little little other tiny dagger in the heart. Also, when he was grabbing onto that metal pole that was like frozen, I couldn't help but think of Dumb and Dumber and the scene where like he licked the pole and <laughs> as tongue stuck on there. So I was just thinking like, Joel, don't lick the pole. Don't do it. Even for that for that moment that scene to come immediately after the line tommy delivered uh yeah that was multiple daggers through the heart i think so again these panic attacks and kind of this moment of seeing a doppelganger sarah is not in the game as well and um i really i really liked it there was a moment where i was like wait hold on like she does look a lot like sarah and did, you know, did sarah live is she alive well, yeah exactly i was like can't be sarah but damn that is a identical to her so so uh, again a moment where yeah joel is kind of realizing like oh that would be sarah and i would be a grandpa right now as he just has news about tommy expecting a child so just a uh, a tough a tough few moments, tough few minutes for for Joel here. Anything you want to say before we get to part three? Let's uh, let's let's start the emotions. Part three, Whew. failure. Ellie goes to Tommy and Maria's house and finds a memorial on the mantle to Kevin and Sarah. Kevin was three years old, looks like, and Sarah was fourteen. Both died within a week of outbreak day. As Maria cuts Ellie's hair, she reveals that she used to be an assistant district attorney out of Omaha, Nebraska. Shout out Ken Wexler. And Ellie says that she's sorry about her kids. Maria corrects her. Kevin was her kid, but Sarah was Joel's daughter. Ellie obviously did not know about Sarah until this moment. Quote, I guess that explains him a little, says Ellie with the understatement of the century. Maria tries to caution Ellie from trusting Joel, having heard about his past from Tommy, but Ellie defends him and asks Maria if she's worried about Tommy since he killed people too. But Maria justifies this by saying he was following Joel, but leaves her with a warning. Be careful who you put your faith in. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. Maria takes Ellie to a hall where the town is gathered to watch a movie. And Tommy finds Joel attempting to fix his boots that he had been duct taping earlier in the episode. Tommy saves him some trouble by bringing him a new pair. Tommy, as I mentioned, apologizes for his part of the blow up earlier. I know you're happy for me. It's just complicated for you. Tommy confirms that the way to the university is dangerous, but nothing he doesn't think Joel can handle. Can't handle, excuse me. Joel tells Tommy about the truth regarding Ellie and her immunity. Tess's death. Ryan, Henry, and Sam, all of it, even what's going on 
in his own head. He tells Tommy about his panic attacks, though he never uses that term, and says that he has dreams every night that he can't remember. I just know that when I wake up, I've lost something. I'm failing in my sleep. It's all I do. It's all I've ever done is fail her again and again. Tommy realizes that Joel wants him to take Ellie. I'm just going to get her killed. I know it. I have to leave her. Joel tells Tommy that this is the chance that Tommy has been searching for, a chance to right his wrongs, to leave the world better than he found it, to let his kid live in a world that might have some hope, but that he can't tell anyone, not even Maria. It's the last thing I'll ever ask of you. I swear, Joel says. And Tommy agrees, saying that he will take her out at dawn. So we're, we're going to have to talk a lot about this second Joel and Tommy conversation because I loved it so much. But some of the main differences from the game in this part. So Maria, this whole element of Maria distrusting Joel from the gate because of what she's heard about Joel isn't really a thing in the game. She sort of lashes out at Joel once she realizes that he asked Tommy to take Ellie. It was just like, if anything happens to you, it's on, if anything happens to Tommy, it's on you. But he, but she's pretty trusting of Joel right away um, and, and pretty warm and, and receptive to him. But I really like this change for a few reasons we'll get into. Uh, also, Joel opening up to Tommy about his feelings and his fears and his failures and his, and his panic attacks and everything going on in his head definitely doesn't happen like this. Like we mentioned, the, the Joel-Tommy stuff is pretty much one conversation where Joel lays it out. She's immune. Go to the Fireflies. Collect the payment. I just need some gear. I'll be on my way. Oh, this is how you're going to repay me, blah, 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 blah. And then they're interrupted by bandits coming and you have to go shoot stuff because it's a video game. Um, and then Ellie, once she figures out that Joel is is planning to ditch her and have Tommy take her and run away, basically, she runs away. She grabs a horse. She leaves the dam and she runs off to this ranch, which if you're wondering why we call it a ranch scene, it's because it takes place on a ranch where she just ran off with the horse and went up into the house and started reading from a girl's journal. Um, so that is sort of the context of, of how that happens differently and how we get to that point with the ranch scene. But let's talk about the second Joel and Tommy conversation. It's as powerful a scene as there is in the game. Because this one wasn't in the game and I wasn't expecting it, I think it hit that much more. This is kind of furthering. I, I The show does a great job of, like I was saying earlier, they left a lot of things unsaid in the first conversation. That's kind of a theme in the game. You have to infer a lot of things of how Joel is feeling. Um, and... Like in the game, we everything Joel kind of says, we know he feels that, but he doesn't ever say it because that's just not kind of who he his character is in the game. So in the show, they're doing they're they're just making it more kind of outwardly known, and they're having moments like this, and it's fantastic. It's an amazing addition to the show. Honestly, it's 
going to end up as one of my favorite scenes in the show entirely. So I'll I'll say this. I, I definitely agree with you that for the most part, we're able to infer all these things of, of how Joel's feeling in the game. But it definitely recontextualizes it a bit for me. So he says the line to Ellie later that she'll be better off with Tommy. He knows this area better. I trust him better than I trust myself. I guess I, for the most part, always thought that that was mostly bullshit game. I thought he was more just trying to protect himself and scared of the loss again. But I think, and, and maybe it's more specific to this Joel. This Joel clearly believes that. He, he clearly believes that he is going to let Ellie down and he's going to be the reason why she dies. So it's not only protecting himself from that pain and that loss, but he's convinced himself that like he is going to be the cause of it. And that makes a ton of sense, especially for this version of Joel, who's, who's so tortured and haunted by uh, obviously what's happened to him. But you're right. And, and this is certainly, I would say, the most vulnerable Joel has ever been yep. in any scene that we've seen uh, and that we've experienced in game or show. And it's so interesting that it comes on the heels of this conversation where he couldn't even tell Tommy the truth about anything. And then he has that panic attack and he sees that woman that looks like Sarah and he's just, he's choosing to isolate himself in this, in this, uh, in this workshop where he's working on the shoes and he's just soaking in his, in his own feelings of a lack of self-worth. He doesn't feel that he's good enough. He doesn't feel that he can do the things that he needs to be able to do to keep Ellie alive. And he's viewing himself as a failure. And I wanted to especially talk about that line of, when his dreams and he can't remember it's just when i wake up i've lost something and uh i'm 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 like getting choked up just like thinking about that line and, and pedro's delivery on it and then we find out from the podcast that that line was from pedro himself and that that was not in the script and that obviously re- that even recontextualizes a whole bunch of things so obviously Joel's mumbling in his sleep. We get that from the first episode and we got that in the game too. They mumbles in sleep. And sure, we, we think it's, we probably just assume for the most part, it's always about, uh, it's always about Sarah and, and losing Sarah. But actually, I think if you go back on the audio of like his dreams, when he's going to sleep in the first episode, you can even hear like an argument with Tommy and you can't quite make out like what it is, but you can tell something's there. And now you, with this additional context, we just learned that, over and over again, every time Joel goes to sleep, he's reliving something that he's lost. And it's just, it's so sad. And it's so, it, Joel is such a compelling character for so many reasons. And this just makes it even more uh, emotionally complex and and fascinating to me. I, I absolutely adored this scene. Joel was already a fascinating, complex character in the game. In the show, they're doing it even better. They're adding more layers to this that is keeping him both fascinating and complex. That line recontextualizes a lot of things. It's probably why he's open as well to uh, taking both watches because he doesn't want to go to sleep, In uh, as we saw earlier. And so... So much about that one line um, changes a lot of things that we've seen and does that recontextualizing. Amazing from Pedro. That that 
specific line, his delivery, this whole scene. I think we've said this a number of times, but good at acting. Yeah. Decent acting. Uh, he deserves every award that, uh, he can possibly get because that, that scene alone, that line alone, just that's going to stick with me when I wake up, I've lost something is, is going to be something I remember from this show forever. Literally within a stretch of 10 minutes, we get this scene and then he walks right around and does the ranch scene, which again, not on a ranch, but we're still going to call it the ranch scene just because that's what we've always known it as. Um, just two of the most well-acted scenes uh, I've, I've ever seen. They're so good. And it got, I, I, you know what? I, I'm just, I, I, I hope Pedro gets serious uh, Emmy consideration, and I bet he will. And and you know what? You, like I'll, I'm sure a lot of people listen to the show are just like, oh, they're just giving Emmys out to everyone. The Last of Us, but the show is that good. Yeah. And Pedro specifically, I think he he has the name recognition. He's doing a a much different type of role that is still getting universal acclaim and a lot of audience, uh, and a much obviously a much more serious role than he has in The Mandalorian. Which again, I'm gonna say it. Disney, you're a bunch of fucking idiots that you have Pedro Pascal on the biggest show like in the world on Disney Plus, and you you like don't use him. Like you're stupid. You're stupid. Okay, sorry, that's my uh Mandalorian rant for your bingo card. Anyway. <laughs> it was yeah, he deserves everything. We'll talk about the ranch scene here in a minute. Let's talk about Ellie Maria because there was another interesting conversation that happened prior to this. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on, on how that convo between those two played out? And again, we, we mentioned this, right? So this Maria distrust of Joel, not in the game. I also like that we can tell that Ellie senses something's off right away. Mazen talks mm-hmm. a little bit about this as well. She can tell Maria doesn't like Joel, which puts her on edge. Um, and there's obviously some cool things about Maria's character. Obviously, right away, you see a parallel with her and Joel, which they both lost a kid right around outbreak day 20 years ago. Uh, Maria's kid was, uh, I, I I forgot to, I think it was four or three. I wrote it down. Three. Somewhere, but I, th- I think it was three years old. Yeah. I never want to see that scene at all. Literally never. Don't show it to me. And obviously it's, she, she has a much different approach. She's open to talking about it. She has a memorial up for anyone in her home. She asks Ellie about it. It's like, Oh, you saw you saw you saw you saw that memorial about my dead kid. Yeah, uh, she's completely comfortable about it. Obviously, Joel would never do something like that. He's shut off as as all can be. Uh, as as someone that has known a lot of lawyers, both in my family and and without, I love Maria telling Ellie that she'd make a good lawyer because that's exactly what all lawyers that I know do whenever they're talking <laughs> to like a young person that's like smart and argumentative. Like, oh, you're, you're gonna make a great lawyer. They love saying that shit. So I love that. Um, and then this interesting conversation and parting thought she leaves with Ellie about trust and betrayal, which is obviously going to hurt Ellie in like 10 minutes when she feels that Joel is betraying her again. But she says that the only people that can betray us are the ones we trust. And there's always these interesting type of uh, circular things when it comes to this. So that's obviously true. Uh only time we can be afraid is when we have something to lose, like someone we trust. And as we know from Ned Stark, Game of Thrones, only time we can be brave is when we're afraid. So I just, I love this thought of 
you have to be careful who you put your faith in. And obviously that resonated with Ellie to some extent. She sticks up for Joel, but obviously she's still scared, as we know, of ending up alone and the fact that people are going to leave her, as has happened to her before and is about to attempt to happen here very shortly. And then one other interesting tidbit is we, we knew that Sarah was older than she was in the game. We get confirmation from this little board that Sarah was 14, so officially the same age as Ellie. Not surprising that they made that change, but Sarah's a little younger than Ellie was in the game, but now we, now we know what age Sarah was. R.I.P. These are the types of moments that I'm glad that we're getting in the uh, in the show because I think we've said this before, but this uh, conversation wasn't in the game. It happens off screen where Ellie later reveals that Maria told her about Sarah. Uh, I'm glad that these are the moments that we can expand upon in the show. We can see this conversation. We can see this dynamic between these two. Obviously a little bit different, as you said, Maria, a lot more hostile towards Joel, which is understandable. Uh, she certainly holds everything that happened to Tommy against Joel. And so I thought it, it was an interesting kind of dynamic between those two as Ellie kind of defended Joel in that when they were kind of talking about their past as Maria is very, um, kind of accusatory in blaming Joel for all of that. And again, the show is very, and the story is very good at posing these moral questions to the audience. And it seems clear that Maria and the people in Jackson would hold the type of stance that people that would do the types of things that we know that Joel and Tommy did would not be allowed in, in this uh, community, right? They don't want those types of people there, the wrong type of people. They don't want the wrong type of people to show up or people that might have nefarious intentions. Uh, and that's probably why Maria distrusts Joel. And I think she's partially right and partially wrong in the sense of, I don't think Tommy would have done those things on his own without Joel. At the same time, Tommy's a grown ass man. And mm -hmm he takes culpability for it more than Maria is willing to assign to him. We did those things. We murdered people. He tells Joel. And I think obviously this is partly a rationalization that Maria is making on her part that the man she fell in love with, because she probably has this own moral code that like, I would not be associated with people that do those things. She's convinced himself. Oh, he only did those things because he's associated with Joel, which is maybe partially true. But again, I think that's maybe putting off some of the blame. But again, as another question that we have to ask ourselves once again, both Tommy and Joel did these objectively horrible things that if they did in modern society, we would we would label them outright as horrible people. Certainly with my time with these two characters, I don't I don't view them as horrible people. Um, morality vibe check. Are they horrible people, Jacob? What do you <laughs> uh, not horrible, um, especially at this point in their lives. If you would have asked me that maybe... I don't 20, 15, 20 years earlier, depending on when all this stuff happened, probably could classify them as horrible people. I mean, they said they were the people in Kansas City that were setting the traps uh, for people driving by or coming through. So not great people, uh, but it the show, the game as well, always painted things in kind of a gray area. Not everything is black and white. And so that's what we're seeing with these conversations 
both these conversations that not everything is black and white. There's some gray area in there, and that's where Tommy and Joel kind of live live their post-apocalyptic lives is in this gray area. Ready for ranch scene? As ready as I'll ever be. Part four, loss. A lot of this recap is just going to be repeating some of those lines in that scene, but they're so important that we're doing it anyway. Joel goes to tell Ellie the news that Tommy will take her and he's leaving her. But we find out Ellie actually overheard part of that. She overheard, you have to take her, I have to leave her. She says, if you're going to ditch me, ditch me. And Joel tells her that she will be better off with Tommy. And after confirming that he does care about her, Ellie asks, what are you so afraid of? And Joel freezes. He can't answer. I'm not her, you know, Ellie says. Maria told me about Sarah. Don't, Joel interjects. Don't say another word. Ellie says, I am sorry about your daughter, Joel, taking a step toward him, but I have lost people too. You have no idea what loss is, Joel says. And Ellie, after looking hurt for a second, says, everyone I have cared for has either died or left me. Everybody, fucking except for you, as Ellie shoves Joel. So don't tell me I would be safer with somebody else. Because the truth is, I would just be more scared. You're right, Joel says. You're not my daughter. And I sure as hell ain't your dad. Now come, Dawn. We're going our separate ways. Joel slams the door on his way out. He goes to the room that he's going to sleep in. And he sits there thinking of a memory of Sarah putting ornaments on their Christmas tree. In the morning, Ellie is sitting awake, waiting to see who will come for her. And it's Tommy. She doesn't even try to hide her disappointment. They head to the stables where Joel is there with the saddled horse. Joel went there with the intent of stealing a horse and running off, but that was 30 minutes ago. And he decides that Ellie deserves to have a choice, he says. And while he thinks she'd be better off with Tommy, he lets go, Ellie says, as she shoves the bag in his arms. For Ellie, it's not a choice at all. Joel gets directions from Tommy and borrows his rifle. Tommy tells Joel that there's a place for them, both here in Jackson. Counting on it, Joel says. And Joel and Ellie leave Jackson. Out in the field sometime later, Joel teaches Ellie how to shoot the sniper. Ellie insists there's something wrong with the rifle, but Joel shows her how it's done, perfectly bullseyeing the target of one attempt. Joel tells Ellie he used to be a contractor, which Ellie thinks sounds cool, the contractor. Yeah, we were cool, Joel says. Everybody loved contractors. They make it to the university with good time and with no trouble. Joel explains the nature of college to Ellie. Says it's more about finding out what they want to do with their lives. Ellie wistfully says, what they want to do with their lives. It's a funny concept to a kid that grew up in the apocalypse. Joel corrects his earlier answer of what he would do if the deal was that he could do anything. And he tells Ellie that when he was a kid, he wanted to be a singer. You're singing for me later. I'm going to save the fucking world, man. It's the least you can do for me. They see some monkeys, a firefly symbol, and they enter the science building, but it is completely abandoned. They find a moving list and a map with all pins leading to Salt Lake City, Utah, which is not worlds away from where they are, but not exactly close. Joel and Ellie spot a group of men with melee weapons, and they decide it's time to leave. 
As they get to the horse, a man with a baseball bat attacks Joel. He swings it, but breaks it on the tree. Joel snaps his neck, but looks down to see the fractured bat was used to stab him in the gut. They get on the horse. Ellie shoots at the pursuers, and they escape. After they're a decent distance away, and are sure that they aren't being followed, Joel falls off the horse and loses consciousness. Ellie pleads with Joel to get up. I can't fucking do this without you. I don't know where the fuck I'm going or what the fuck I'm going to do. Joel, please. In a sad cover of Depeche Mode's Never Let Me Down Again that we heard in episode one, plays as they cut to black. Whew. So, there's some notable main differences. Uh, first of all, as we mentioned, not at a ranch. There's at a house in Jackson. Another difference is at a few different points during this whole section of the game, gameplay is happening. Oh, there's bad, there's bad guys. There's bandits that showed up. We have to shoot them. Uh, maybe one of my complaints, uh, maybe I think the only complaint you could even have about the ranch sequence in the game is that that happens. Joel says, we're going to go our separate ways. And then immediately Tommy's like, hey, there's bad guys in the building. We got to, <laughs> yeah, we got to, we got to shoot stuff again. And like you, the camera cuts to Ellie and, and she's sitting, standing there being sad. But then it's just like, oh, right back to action. It always sort of killed the momentum a little bit, especially when like mm-hmm. you watch, uh, you know, like we said, we've watched a ton of people playing this game. And whenever they get to that point, they're like, oh, okay. All right. They're not going to give me a minute. I just have to go kill people again. Uh, but not having gameplay interject with this moment and just more, sitting with the characters i feel like was a good good decision good change and joel feels guilty on his way back from the ranch as they're going back from the ranch that ellie had ran away to back to jackson and he makes the decision pretty quick that he's not going to leave her and is the other main difference that we'll talk a little bit more about here in a little bit is instead of saying oh you deserve a choice blah 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 he's just like they get back to right outside jackson and joel tells ellie all right, get off on your horse. Give it back to Tommy. I'm going to hold on to this fella. Uh, we're we're going to leave. Your wife kind of scares me. Uh, I don't want her coming after me. You you take care of that wife. We're going to go uh, do that thing. Adios, little brother. So it happens a little bit differently in the game. But let's talk about the ranch scene, Jacob. Yeah, as you said, obviously you come into this all sorts of different, which leads to really the only difference in dialogue in this scene is kind of the beginning because of how they come into the scenes differently. Uh, Outside of that, almost exactly verbatim, with just very few exceptions, the dialogue from the scene. Craig Mazin said that, uh, that they didn't really have to change much because it was already a great scene. Um, Admittedly, when I watched this the first time, as we've uh, been discussing and highlighting throughout, There's a lot of things that are different about this episode and the just kind of those small things. And I it was the first time where I've been the annoying book reader or the annoying source material person where I was like I was so caught up in everything that was being changed that I didn't wasn't really watching the show. It wasn't until this scene that I realized kind of what I was doing. This scene kind of snapped me out of it. Um, if absolutely fantastic, they absolutely nailed this. It was, they both talked about it in the little, uh, post-show kind of, uh, scene or, or whatever. They both knew the pressure that was associated with this scene. Uh, 
and they nailed it. They added some small little subtle differences to kind of add their own differences, personality, whatever you want to call it into this scene. But ultimately it was still almost exactly the same and it's fantastic. I mean, I, I got choked up just as I always would watching it in the game, watching uh, Bella Ramsey deliver those lines was incredible. These two absolutely nailed the scene. And I mean, I'd said this a number of times, this to me is kind of the, the scene that they have to get right. One of the scenes that they have to get right. Maybe the most important one. And this probably would have been number one on our power rankings of yeah. scenes. They have to get right. If we were like, if if we would have made a list going into this, this season, almost assuredly would have been number one, right? Yeah, absolutely. They had to get this right. There's so many dynamics at play here. So many different emotions and, they captured all of them brilliantly without, I mean, they didn't have to change a lot, but even then just the tone, the way they said things, they kept, they did it all so perfectly. This in the game, the, I think this is the scene that tr- truly made me aware that I was experiencing something special with the story. Yeah. I think I was, I, I was obviously shocked and moved by Sarah's death. I was obviously shocked and horrified by what happened with Henry and Sam. And then you get to this scene and it's just two characters coming to grips with how much they mean to each other and what that means and grappling with their own fears and insecurities and just laying it all out on the table for the most part. And it's just Mason said like this is one of the ones where I you know he probably would have been terrified to stray too far from the mm-hmm. source material on this one because it's just it's such a well-written scene and it's such a well-performed scene that again like you said I feel for I felt for Bella and Bella and Pedro because they had huge uh shoes to fill I would encourage if you want to and again be careful with YouTube algorithms that can sometimes spoil you but if you're just watching the show um this the scene in the game is, is worth checking out it's very similar obviously uh, with some differences in the performances for sure. But it, again, it, it all goes back to what these two characters are grappling with. Joel is so scared of loss and, and failing her and, and losing someone again and reliving that trauma. Ellie is terrified of abandonment and betrayal and Joel leaving her. Uh, one detail that we loved that made it into the show is such a key part of the scene in the game is something that was not scripted and was improvised by Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie, which was the line was just everyone, everyone I've cared for has either died or left me everyone except for you. And for whatever reason, they, they felt like the scene wasn't hundred percent working. And then they took like a little break and they came back and Ellie changed that to say everybody fucking except for you. And as she's saying fucking, she's like shoving Joel back physically, which Troy Baker was not ready for. It was a little surprised for as well. But, uh, it's another thing we love about this property is it's a very collaborative storytelling effort. They had contributions from the actors and the fact that that part made it into the show, uh, I think feels right to me that, and again, it's and we, we still haven't, haven't uh, gotten Ashley's uh, appearance in the show yet. I'm excited for that. Um, but the, the fact that that, 
certain bits of their performance are still carrying over and are still hugely impactful and central to like what happens in the scene and what happens at the moment. I think it's great that they keep those things. Uh, And then probably the the most interesting line, if, if you had to pick one line from that for me, is Joel telling Ellie, you have no idea what loss is. And I think it's fair to say that Joel's wrong, but you also get where he's coming from, that he's like, Nothing could po- you you can't possibly imagine the pain of failing to save your daughter and watching her die in your arms as you're just as there's nothing you can do and she's 14 years old and and obviously Ellie thinks that that's super unfair for Joel to say Ellie's literally an orphan literally an orphan literally everyone as she says that has that she's cared for has died or left her. So that makes it clear he's wrong, but again, you, you still understand completely where Joel's coming from by saying that. But, and again, it's just, it's such, it's, it's a moment where if you hadn't realized it before, these two characters need each other. Ellie needs Joel. She needs someone that she can feel safe with. She needs someone looking out for her. She's never had that. She's never had the love of a parent that she can cling to. She's never felt safe. She's always been scared. And Joel is obviously missing a huge piece of his humanity that has just been taken from him and and that he's he's maybe he's taken it from himself you could argue but the only person that could give it back to him is Ellie and without her he's not whole he's not the same person as you can see there's a switch that's flipped after the scene that Joel is more whole again he is no longer having panic attacks He's accepted that he cares about Ellie. He's accepted the role of, okay, I'm essentially her, your dad now. And you see the warmth. You see he's joking. You see he's laughing. You see all these things. And obviously that fear of losing her is still there. But this scene changes so much, especially with Joel. It's interesting, specific to the show, that Joel leaves and immediately has a flashback or thought of Sarah which kind of drives home your point that that's how he views Ellie and uh, that flashback isn't there's no flashbacks to Sarah in the game so that certainly isn't there I want to go back to the the shove and that line specifically because I, I just to kind of reiterate that's my favorite my favorite line in this kind of this conversation this scene because it also we talk a lot about Joel not really opening up and he does it more in the show, obviously, than he does in the game. But Ellie, she's a more kind of vibrant character, but she doesn't she's not opening up about her emotions a lot either. So this is that's the line to me that always kind of gets me to break everyone fucking except for you. Because you learn the, you learn how important Joel is to Ellie. And that's the first time she really shows it. There's moments throughout, like we mentioned earlier, where she's kind of worried about being left alone with Maria, not having Joel around. And again, it's one of those things you can infer just by various things. But her just outright saying it is, in this moment, is heartbreaking and emotional and this is just one of those scenes 
one of my least favorite uh like movie tropes is when people just don't say how they feel and talk it out and get over it not that they, these two necessarily needed to get over it but just laying everything out there and just saying how they feel in this scene is perfect and it it reveals so much about both of them but yeah i love that the not just that line of everyone fucking except for you but the shove, which is just one of my favorite stories about the game itself. It shows you how collaborative this whole thing was and that one of the most important moments in the most important scene in the game wasn't even scripted. And so it, I, I just love everything about this scene. I'm so glad they got it right. One of the, the changes I like that they made, they did a good job of not making Joel's response to her as jarring in the game, because you don't ever really get Joel's inner thoughts, especially the conversation he had with Tommy. We obviously don't get that. So when Joel says, you're right, you're not my daughter and I'm not your father. We're going our separate ways. It's jarring. And that's what makes, as you said, immediately having to go into gameplay. So, like uncomfortable because you're like damn joel like what the hell and them laying kind of the groundwork before this made it not nearly as jarring and you can understand where he's coming from more for sure and and this is also like i mentioned one of those moments that for sure i i think you're supposed to feel this way even if you understand what he's doing and where he's coming from i think the the appropriate reaction when joel says you're not my daughter, and I sure as hell hate your dad. Is Joel? Why, why would you say that? You, you son of a bitch! And it's just you're disappointed in him because you know, a how un- untrue it is, and how dishonest Joel is 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 being with himself in, in that moment, and then b also how hurtful that is for Ellie to hear. And Bella had a great perform. They both had a great performance, obviously. Um, I also I just want to give a, a specific shout out of. Uh, Joel and and Pedro freezing as he realizes that she's about to bring up Sarah, and then she talks to Sarah. He just like freezes in fear, and then the way he just says, "Don't," he shakes his head, "Don't say another word." I his delivery on that was so good. I'll that I think that will be ingrained in my head uh, forever. There, one small line change is he he said that instead of as soon as in the in the game as soon as Ellie says um. Maria told me about Sarah. He's, Joel says, Ellie, you are treading on some mighty thin ice here, which they took out. And I, I think it makes sense that that this is not maybe quite that Joel, um, that it wouldn't quite. I, I think what the, what they had Pedro say made a lot more sense for this Joel and, and his performance in this delivery. Um, but even though I love, I love some mighty thin ice. Uh, I thought that made sense. I like that. I do like that change because it also kind of, differentiates the two a little bit because I absolutely the delivery Troy Baker has in that line in the game is fantastic. But as you said, it makes a lot more sense in the game because Joel is this hardened version of himself in the show. As you said, him freezing, just saying don't makes a lot more sense, especially given the conversation he just had with Tommy. Yeah. And I was just going to say, and as we said, we, are 
I think we're loving how obviously a lot of the the most important characteristics of these characters are still there, and there's elements of Troy and Ashley still there, but that it's a different take. And again, I think we would say you should still, uh, if you're interested at all, you should still go back and experience the game version, even if you just want to like watch some of the scenes on YouTube or something, because Troy Troy and Ashley still give such a great all time performance probably arguably the the best video game acting performances we've ever seen and something that's a lot more challenging they're doing this in silly suits and on a mocap stage uh and and obviously pedro and bella are doing it in a much different situation with full sets and uh hbo and uh, a lot bigger of a team they're working with and and, and all this but uh we, we, we love troy and ashley as we've said before all right, let's uh let's move forward. The the next scene, so because of the way the game is, there is no overnight to think things over. And you immediately go into gameplay. Joel basically makes his decision as they're riding back to Jackson from the ranch uh in the show that obviously plays out differently. The he he has the overnight into the morning to think about his decision. And then we see him at the stables where he gives Ellie a choice. She isn't given a choice in, uh, in the game. Didn't really feel like a choice though. Yeah. I don't, I don't think either care. Like, I don't think, I, I think Joel knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows that Ellie, Ellie's not going to like, uh, oh, um, hmm. Let me sit there and think about uh, if I should choose Tommy. The, the reality is, Joel just has decided he can't leave her, and he tried, but he can't. And he decides that this is what I need to do. And Joel is, e- even if he's accepted this, and even if he's like, okay, in, in his even if in his head he's like, okay, I'm I'm her dad now. We're just gonna go with this thing and roll with it. He can't say, I've decided. I love you. I'm going with you. We're in this for the long haul. He just he's so bad at articulating his feelings that way. That he's just like, well, uh, I figured you have a choice. So uh, you can either go. Yeah, I think you should go with Tommy. He's going to. But I mean, obviously, there's still that part of honesty there that he is uh, scared of his self-worth and, and feared that he's going to let her down. But I think that's really what's going on there. It's just he's like, OK, I'm, OK, Ellie, let's you you and me. Let's do it. Which then leads us to all of the fun conversations that they have on the back of the horse over the next five days as they make their way to the campus. Uh, Joel explaining politics was a fun one. Joel um, talking about how much people loved contractors was a, a fun little tidbit. The best one, though, is the football conversation. Uh, the other two parts aren't in the game. The conversation about football is in the game. We talked about it, I think, last week uh, in the spoiler section. I'm very glad that that made its way into the show because it's a fun little tidbit. They're discussing it as they pull up to the campus as he tries to explain uh, football rules to Ellie. So I'm glad that we got to see that conversation. One of those little Easter eggs that... Uh, were treated to for those that that played the game. Joel's a Texas boy. He doesn't like communism, and he loves football. <laughs> he's got to he's, he's got he's got to spread that knowledge. On the campus, 
The biggest negative is that we don't get a flamethrower. Uh, in the game, you each, mo largely speaking, each kind of new area you arrive to, you get a new type of weapon. When you arrive on campus, you get a flamethrower. Uh, realistically, you're not going to be able to carry around a flamethrower in the show. So it makes sense why they did what not. What do you mean? You, just, you stuff it in the backpack. It's fine. Yeah, you, can, you, you throw it on your back. Lots of and large, it, heavy guns in the backpack, and then you can hold two of them at the same time. Yeah, and all of the canisters that come with it all just fit in neatly inside this little backpack. I think it would have been weird to see them get a flamethrower. Oh, show, yeah, but, absolutely. But yeah, I, I would not have wanted it, but it would have been a funny little maybe just have one laying on the side or something. I don't know. Uh, we we find out that Joel wants to be a singer. He recants his previous wish of wanting to be a sheep farmer and instead wants to be a singer. The one thing I will say I was sad we didn't get. So in the game, when the injury happens, there it's not directly beside the horse. So there's a little bit of time as they try to walk to the horse and get away. Uh, and Ellie delivers the line of, if I get you out of this, you're definitely singing for me. I was a little sad that we didn't get that line, but the, the way it played out in the show, everything happened a lot faster. There wasn't any lines really between him having the injury and them getting away. So makes sense why they didn't have it. And, and this is, I mean, you see Ellie shooting, but uh, in the game, Ellie in the sequence is you're, you're almost as, as Joel get in, gets injured, you're stumbling and like, you're, you're trying to follow her and the camera's shaking and you're hearing like breathing going in and out. Uh, but you're basically, you're basically a spectator watching Ellie, clear out some dudes uh, for you as you're trying to get back to the horse, which is cool. And one, one line that we, we liked that we were sad we didn't get was uh, as Ellie tries to get like Joel to lean on him as they were walking to the horse. And Joel's like, no, no, I'm fine. I was like, well, can you walk? She was like, yeah. She's like, well then fucking walk. Uh, we always love that moment. And then, yeah, Ellie said, if, if I'm getting, if I get you out of this, you're so singing for me. Joel says you wish but yeah two great lines that uh it's understandable why they weren't in there but uh, i am a little sad we didn't get either one of them uh fedro we learned does teach ellie about monkeys so we can add something to their curriculum uh that it's not a lot that they teach them but she has learned about monkeys and dams i guess yeah, I mean, that might have been like on like the kindergarten curriculum. Maybe Fedra <laughs> hadn't taken over by that point. Um, I'm, not, I'm not ready to give Fedra the credit on this one just yet, but under, understandable. Fair, fair. Uh, I, I, as we see looking forward to next week's episode, we might learn a lot more about um, the curriculum for Fedra schools. The we one little other Easter egg I wanted to see. I thought we might get it was just a tape recorder at the university. I think we've mentioned this before, but a lot of the the kind of side stories you find, especially at a place like the university where the fireflies were, are little tape recorders where you play a message and you find out some of the backstory and whatnot. And specifically when you get to 
where their lab was, you find out via tape recorder that they took everything to Salt Lake. Obviously, the map does that work for it in the uh, in the show, but I was a little disappointed we didn't get a tape recorder. I guess there's uh, we could still find one by the end of the show, but ultimately, I thought this was the best place for it. We just didn't get it. So one additional tidbit that sort of makes the monkeys scarier uh, in this episode is in the game, you find out that the Firefly scientists had been experimenting on mm-hmm. monkeys with the cordyceps uh, as, as part of part of their attempts to understand the fungus and, and also to try and generate a vaccine. Uh, and then, yeah, you get a recorder from a guy that, which is, as you said, is where you learn that they've gone to Salt Lake. Uh, and he, you hear him let out the monkeys that were like potentially infected. It was a little unclear, and they bite him. So stay away from those monkeys, Joel and Ellie. Good job. Way to not pet them. We keep mentioning that we want to see an actual Molotov, and buddy, there would not have been a better time to chuck a Molotov than as Joel is looking down at the Raiders as they're walking by. Joel, just. It's easy. Just find a random bottle of alcohol, a random towel, light it on fire, and you have a Molotov. That's 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 how it works. That's 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 how yeah. I know how Molotov cocktails works. Uh, yeah. Same same ingredients for curing bullet wounds is just a rag and some alcohol. So, um, yeah, we've gotten zero Molotov cocktails. We've gotten zero smoke bobs, zero nail bombs, and most distressingly, still. Zero bricks or bottles thrown. <laughs> Come on, guys. We're running out of time. We got three episodes left. The this, the episode ends on Never Let Me Down, which is what the first episode ended on. Obviously, a much different take of this song. But one little kind of note that's interesting. If you think back to the first episode it was an 80s song that is signaling danger ahead i mean it's still an 80s song that could be signaling danger ahead but it also is a much different tone with how this one is sung for sure and actually we find out from the official podcast that this is craig mason's daughter who's uh 18 years old and apparently an amazing singer she did a great job with it i uh i I thought it was a cool cover um yeah 80s once again also, you know, you might think of the lyrics and how taking a ride with your best friend and hoping that they don't let you down again. And uh, what happens at the end of this episode, you could think that uh, either one of them might feel that they've let each other down uh, regarding what happens. But we will have to see what happens going forward from here. Um, anything we want to talk about before we get to some awards? We have a body count update. I, count? yeah, I, uh, I remembered it mid episode. So if I've forgotten anything, feel free to remind me. But we forgot it last week. I believe there were two last week uh, that Joel killed. These are non zombies. He was sniping the hell out of some zombie or some infected. Excuse me. He was sniping the hell out of some infected last week. Uh, I believe it's just one this week that he killed, which would bring his body count up to six. Ellie, still at 0.5. Let's see. If we got two last episode and one this week, I 
think I think he's at seven, right? Because so that would be three, and then he had three in the Brian Ambusher sequence, and then he he killed Lee also. So I think he's at seven. Fine with me. See, I was a journalist, not a mathematician. Let's do some awards. Start you, you off took real journalism school, but you took the Fedra math school. Exactly. <laughs> Similar curriculums. Let's uh, let's do some awards. Start off with the video game moment of the week. I had a hard time coming up with an answer for this. I got you. It's it's definitely Joel uh, choking out the guy and then yep. snapping his neck. Which that is literally uh, the only one I could think of. It's. I mean, it was, so you do that so often in the game. Not not. I don't think he snaps the neck that often, but um, you do a lot of stealth kills in the game. And the best way to kill a human without expending any resources is to go behind him, sneak up behind him, hit triangle, and then you hit square, uh, which is he chokes him out with his muscles uh, until they die. So he basically did that and then added a little little neck snap for some extra oomph on there. But that's that's my video gaming uh, of the week. Other than that, it's a lot of conversations happening in rooms, which I love. I love conversations in rooms. Yeah, there was very little other video gaming in this. That I think is probably the only answer you can really have. I don't remember any others. The best change that they made. Again, this one might be a, a runaway winner, but I put the Joel and Tommy conversations and specifically the second one. Uh, like I alluded to earlier, it's going to be one of the best scenes this show has had, and it wasn't in the game at all. Yeah, and specifically the the Pedro line of all I know is when I wake up, I've lost something. Again, it just gets me choked up thinking about the way he delivered the line. Um, but I just loved that so much. So, yes, that's the answer. I'll give my honorary uh, token to the idea of 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 Tommy, uh, Tommy and Maria expecting and Tommy mm -hmm. grappling with that fear of fatherhood and, and thinking that he's going to be able to connect with Joel. And even after Joel opened up, I'm still I'm disappointed he didn't say anything to, to Tommy about that. I, I would have liked him to give some type of um, brotherly assurance and, and support there. But uh, I thought that was an interesting wrinkle. I thought that made the Tommy dynamic all the more interesting. And again, they're doing like every they're looking Mason is doing such a good job of looking for every possible way to make these sections of the story more interesting and more compelling. And just there's those two very small things, Maria distrusting Joel because of what she's heard about him and Tommy expecting to be a father uh, that made all the dynamics between the characters even more interesting uh, during this part. So Craig Mason, you're doing well, even if you haven't given us a breaker bottle. <laughs> uh again another runaway winner baby girl moment of the week i mean it's 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 the ranch scene which is not yeah. at a ranch but that's fine it's still the ranch scene um again a, a seminal iconic moment from the game anyone that's played that game i think that scene is basically like seared into your brain it's so important it's it's really I it's 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 just it's it's an amazing moment in time between two characters and we love the way it played out we love the performances in both versions I agree and it's such a runaway that I'm not even sure what a, a runner up we don't need, we don't need to give an honorary that yeah, was I was going to say I don't even know what a runner up would be MVP of the week 
I went with Pedro Pascal. Just his his acting is Joel. We keep referencing it, but just that line, that conversation, he he hit it out of the park this week. I love Joel as a character. I'm not endorsing all of his actions, but <laughs> he he's such a compelling and rich character. And you really feel like I think even more so now. What made it so interesting is he, he almost never bared his soul with explaining his emotions and, and feelings in the game. Yet you still felt like you knew him and that he was like a very real person and you had a clear grasp on his motivations and his intentions. And the show version of Joel is, is just is even uh, even more interesting and compelling and tragic and sad and heartfelt and touching and. Uh, I agree with you. I, I think the MVP of this week is, is Pedro Pascal, even though this is a tremendous Bella Ramsey episode too. Yeah. And I'm loving Bella's performance of Ellie and, and absolutely crushed it in the ranch scene as well. Uh, and that was such an important moment, but I just, I continue to be absolutely and completely floored by Pedro Pascal's performance. And um, again, obviously if we're in charge of the Emmy committee, we're handing out all the Emmys to the last of us uh, because we, we have, we have no integrity, but, but legitimately, I, I think he's going to have a very, very strong shot at, at, at getting one here. But what do I know? I don't, I don't know anything. I just, I just, I tune into award shows and just hope that the things that I like won. but this is, he's, he's absolutely destroying it each and every week. And it's such a good character and it's such a good performance. And it's just, it's, it's heightening and enriching one of the characters that I've loved talking about and analyzing and reacting to and discussing. And he's, it's just, it's tremendous. So yes, I, I Pedro, in, in my opinion, is, is the MVP this week. That's all our awards for this week. We did it. So anything you want to say before we uh, make the transition here to the uh, quarantine zone, exiting the quarantine zone, I should say. Another stressful week of watching The Last of Us. Uh, these are these are emotionally exhausting episodes. I I I love it. So yes, I, you're a hundred percent. It's good emotional exhaustion. Yes, I you know we we love just uh, reacting to the story and experiencing feelings and having tears in our eyes. Uh, it's a great experience. It might not be for everyone in that regard, and a lot of people might want to watch a happier, sillier. Uh, show but i just i i love how this show can just completely capture all of my feelings and all of my emotions and this episode was the best yet at being able to do that and i just i loved it so much so i'm so happy about this adaptation it's so fucking good and thank you again we had another we, we were almost expecting because of the weird timing of the last episode and the Super Bowl and everything, I think we were expecting maybe the the audience download numbers to take like a dip last week. And it was like the best week that we've ever had. And uh, we're almost getting to a point where, you know, we're just we're, we're, we're very happy with the amount of people that are listening to the show. Um, thank you so much for the people that continue to listen. It really means a lot that you would want to hear us rant about this, uh, this, this show and story that we love. And uh, again, follow us on Twitter at TLOU Nerds. We need more followers on there. We know that there's uh, there's plenty of you people listening right now that haven't followed the account. We're we're watching you, uh, we're <laughs> judging you for not following the Twitter. 
Uh, we need more mailbag questions. We got a couple mailbag questions for the spoiler section, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But we would love more questions. So even after you like, you just watched the episode and you're like, oh, I would like to hear them discuss this, fire a mailbag away to our Twitter, or you can email us at tlounerds at gmail.com. Uh, again, I want to politely ask for those five-star reviews, which, best I understand it, are very helpful with the algorithms and helping us get in more people's ear holes. Uh, recently, we got this review from Nicole Richardson from Five Stars on iTunes. It said, awesome podcast. This is a great podcast. It's very informative, especially to a non-game player. They do a great job of comparing the game and the show and doing so spoiler-free. It's a perfect listen after watching the episode and you're itching to get more information about what you just watched. Thank you so much, Nicole. Uh, people, please continue to send in those five-star reviews. Helps us get in front of more people. And the more that the algorithms love us, the more that we can thrive because we must please the algorithms. They are our new overlords and we must do whatever we can to appease them. So thank you so much. We love you. Um, shall we Shall we get to the spoiler section, Jacob? Let's exit the quarantine zone. We are exiting the quarantine zone. If you do not want to know what happens in both The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us Part 2, please exit now. We love you. We'll see you back here next week. We are going to be fully unleashed with spoiler knowledge of both games going forward and what we're expecting going forward. Three, two, one. Are you gone? You're gone. Okay. So, first question. <sighs> that was a, there was a lot to, uh, to not spoil. To around? Yeah, that's that why I want to get to our first mailbag question from Nick. Would love to hear you guys talk about the challenge of podcasting about this episode without talking about part two or spoiling things. Although, uh, Nick, you better not be listening to this part because I, I know Nick and he has not finished last of his part two. So, Nick, <laughs> if you're listening, turn off now. But it was super challenging because we had to pretend, well, not pretend, but we had to dance around Joel's fate, which obviously Joel is not dead, at least not yet. I have in big capital letters on my notes here that I, I'm writing down. No Joel future tense, just to I, make I, sure. I think we did it. I think the yeah. Um, we, we 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 successfully avoided any talk about future Joel or anything like that. So we, you'll, I'm sure you'll listen when we go back next week. But that was challenging. Um, but I feel like we're doing a pretty good job each week of, of keeping that in mind, and we should be okay there. Uh, Joel's okay. injury in this, if we want to dive into some of the, the topics we had, we obviously, I think, knew that <laughs> you can't have re rebar go through your back and stomach and survive. It was a big one. And <laughs> yeah. it, it went completely through both ways. And it sort of like, uh, uh, as he was yeah, like coming standing off up. Yeah. of the rebar as well, and then had so much time of bleeding out after that. So it was not very believable in the game that he survived, but it's a video game, you know, you there's no more. chance he actually survives that <laughs> zero. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I like that. I think it makes sense that that bat shattered pretty easily. I'm not sure that might've been a Sammy Sosa bat. I'm not sure, uh, but, <laughs> but I'm, you, you know, are I, you I, suggesting that the Raiders <laughs> are using corked bats? I, I'm saying maybe they got their bats from Sammy Sosa. Okay. What is this? 2003 was Sammy Sosa still playing then? Uh, it was it was somewhere around then, but yeah, it was that bat did shatter on impact pretty well. Okay, and then uh, another mailbag question we got from Cigar, who asks, "Was that Dina?" Which I think we can say we're pretty sure is yes. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to cast the same person for the full role because they didn't even really like zoom in on her face or anything like that. 
but there's a teenage girl staring at Ellie, wolfing down some food, which, as as we understand it, I think is uh, probably Dina, right? They so a couple reasons why she is credited in this episode as staring girl, staring girl. Uh, they Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann suggested that uh, this was an Easter egg and somebody we might see later on. And there is a scene in the second game, I believe when they're in Seattle riding the horse or going to Seattle, uh, where they mention her watching Ellie wolf down food when they first arrive. So that I would say was definitely Dina again. I don't know if that's who they cast as Dina. They certainly haven't credited her as Dina, but for for this episode, that was Dina. I agree. Uh, and obviously, Dina is a character that we will be very interested to see who they cast uh, for Dina and changes they make with that character as well. Uh, because obviously, uh, again, I, I, th- I think Mason's going to have even more room to play with part two than he did with part one. And he's he's had a lot of room to play with part one. Uh, enriched it's a very interesting race so i'm very excited for that i'm very interested to see if they make any you know how they go about potentially making it less uh, divisive um even though we love part two it 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 can be a tough hang at times for sure Mm -hmm. so but the show i think a lot of people are having that same reaction of oh man this is a tough hang sometimes it's tough you know they just keep killing everyone each week and it's very sad very depressing um one thing that's not depressing, at least not yet, is little baby Shimmer. Oh, she was so cute. I was so excited seeing Shimmer. It also I was so excited. It gives us a peek that they are going to jump ahead in some regard because that is baby Shimmer. I, we weren't sh- sure if they would jump ahead just because you can't age these characters in real life. Uh, and, but... and the biggest problem, obviously, is that just Be- Bella looks so young. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll yeah, sort of have to see that, but there's ways around that. You know, they could have Bella bulk up and, and, and do other things to, uh, to maybe age her up a little bit, but, uh, Shimmer is adorable. We didn't get a callus mention. No, no mention of the name of callus, which should be the horse that Joel and Ellie have, or at least Ellie's named him callus because Joel forgot to ask Tommy, uh, the horse's name. Um, callus is, uh, I think, not going to be around for too long. Um, based on what happens in, in part one, Shimmer, Shimmer, unfortunately, is another horse that's not going to have a great ending as well. But Shimmer look, is on a, a timeline as well right now. For sure. Um, okay, so obviously we didn't really talk about this because we didn't want to give the sense of like, oh, you'll be back here in season two. But we got to see Jackson in its full glory, which it looked amazing. And it looked, like identical. I, yeah, it looked just like the game. Um, and I, I honestly, it's making me want to move to either Wyoming or Canada because <laughs> like that, that's, that just seems like, oh man, it seems like such a, a cool place to just. Do you want to be Joel and Tommy and create our own uh, Jackson? Uh, you know, I think we need a, a, a apocalypse to happen first before we could do that. Set up like a set up like a communist area in the middle of the United <laughs> States. I don't think they would, they would let us do that, but maybe you know. Let's start scouting some dams in Wyoming just to to be ready. Right, right, right for sure. Uh, so 
one thing that's notable on the podcast that they talked about um, Joel and Ellie on the journey to the university. Uh, Mason said, like, this is the best. It will, I, I almost like couldn't share that. I was like, oh, no, don't give that away. But the best it will ever be between Joel and Ellie is, is this moment, right? It's obviously it's it's before David and the trauma that Ellie experiences there. And obviously they still share a strong bond after that, but that changes things a little bit for Ellie. It's before Joel's choice at the end with the hospital and lying to Ellie and all that. So it's a little sad to, but it's, it's also happy in the moment of getting to see those scenes that, yeah, this probably is the, the highest point um, of the relationship. And obviously there are still some high points that are going forward. And most notably, I'm sure we're, very excited to see the museum sequence and probably next season. Um, and then there's this whole interesting moment of talking about Ellie deserving a choice. And again, I'm, I sort of mentioned it's kind of a cop out. I don't think that's really what's happening there in that moment, but this notion of Ellie deserving a choice is obviously going to be very pertinent in the finale. <laughs> the, uh, I didn't even think of it in that regard necessarily, but yeah, she's not <laughs> to give her that choice there and then take it away from her in uh, a couple weeks time is certainly an interesting dynamic to introduce as well. And I'm sure we'll talk about this in a few weeks, but one of the saddest parts of the finale is literally if both the Fireflies and Joel agreed to let's have Ellie be conscious and let's all talk about this like adults and lay out these options and, and discuss it with Ellie. I think Joel, Joel would have, it would have been hard for Joel to swallow, but if it had been Ellie's choice, I don't think he would have done what he did, obviously. And this whole world would have a much happier ending and a happy, this whole story would have, a, you know, obviously it would be bittersweet and it would be sad because you lose Ellie. But um, the fact that the fire, both the fireflies and Joel didn't give her a choice. And that's that's going to be super interesting to to break down later. Um, the Joel Joel said we got an I swear out of Joel Leo pointing at screen moment. Uh, which <laughs> we'll get that later. Uh, uh, Marlon and Florence the map pointing sequence. So do we think we're still going to get the? I think I think it, this is this setting up like the darker map pointing sequence later, or is this just like an homage to that? I hope it's setting it up because. I just love the how badass Joel turns like in that He's moment. A badass. Yeah, so I hope it's just like foreshadowing and that this wasn't the only way. I guess you can have Joel be a badass and not have that sure. specific sequence, but uh, either way, I, as long as Joel's a badass, I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, and then Ellie taking a rabbit. Is this the the bunny murderer uh, foreshadowing, or are they not going to? Because I feel like to do the money, they're not going to murder a real bunny in front of our eyes. They would have to do it like CG. <laughs> I wonder if that would like, if they would be able, if maybe if they're just like, ah, we don't want to mess with this. So maybe that's why they had her take a bunny. It's just like a little Easter egg there. You but, don't think we're going to open the next episode with a rabbit being murdered right in front of our eyes? I think, well, I think it would be episode eight if, if that All right, excuse me, two um, episodes, I yeah. I think we're probably going to get some of Ellie nursing Joel back to health just like it is in Left Behind. Um, but but I think yeah, the bunny would probably be opening a date if if they're going with this the structure I think they are. But there was foreshadowing galore in this as well. I mean, we talked a lot about it. Joel is a sheep farmer, and that being Ellie's fate, 
and well, briefly. And uh, the second game was very interesting. Uh, her and Dina move to a farm and are sheep farmers. I loved that. Ellie as an astronaut, obviously, was the other big foreshadowing, mainly for the the scene we get in the second season, presumably. Also, in Ellie's room in uh, Jackson, there is a giraffe poster on the wall. So, a little bit is of... There? Yeah, right by the door. We, we had the giraffe toy in episode two also. Yeah, so there's giraffes everywhere. This is just a, this isn't even like necessarily anything foreshadowing anything. I just want Joel and Ellie to go save Marlon and Florence and bring them to Jackson whenever uh, they come back. Because those, I mean, they don't, they won't want it. Yeah, I think they're happier on their own. I saw someone tweet that he wants those two to start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I just want them to know that like they're safe. Like they're not these awful people uh, awaiting them. Uh, because I love Marlon and Florence so much. Uh, the pins on the map in the lab, I don't know if you notice this, one of them leads to Seattle. Oh. One of them leads to Southern California, presumably Santa Barbara. Ooh. Uh, the other two, one of them just goes Midwest, and the other one goes down to Texas. It could be uh, to where Joel's from, but it was very interesting that uh, the two locations of one of those or of uh, two of those. And then we don't get a Joel Sarah photo yet. It didn't really seem like there is a spot where she would have found it or been given it. Um, f- found it. She, she could have maybe, f- mm, she could have maybe found it when she was in Maria and Tommy's house, but yeah, but maybe not. We were mostly with her the whole time there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I would be, I would be surprised if the photo doesn't make an appearance, but I was sort of surprised we didn't get in this one. Uh, again, if you're not, if you don't remember what we're talking about, or if you're not sure, um, Tommy in the game shows Joel, he went back to Austin to like, to find their homes and see it. And it was like, most of the stuff was long gone, but he did find this and it was a picture of Joel and Sarah. Um, I feel, I feel like I've seen like an Instagram picture of like, uh, of like a Polaroid of, of Pedro and Nico that I think is probably what's going to be the photo, but um, I'm yeah I'm I'm holding out hope that that Ellie's just going because yeah, I, I I think that that could be a way of of making that gesture and everything come full circle a little bit cleaner of just Joel not being reminded of Sarah until he's at a much better happier place with Ellie and Ellie gives that to him. Um, so I, I bet we still get it. I bet that's just the decision they're making. So last thing for me, a little bit of speculation from next week because you said it. Do you think we'll actually see Ellie nursing Joel back to health, or do you think that they keep that a cliffhanger for another week? Um, that's a good question. Actually, I'm not sure, but obviously in the DLC she is nursing him back to health, but. The DLC obviously as well came out after the game. I'm, yeah. Well, I, I know this episode is like the writing credit goes to Drucklin, but I'm still interested to see Mason's touch on Left Behind and and but and all, but also just the changes Drucklin would have made. Um, because while I think Left Behind is great and it's a it's a great DLC, I don't think it has quite as many like standout uh, uh, 
iconic moments or anything as a lot of the other stretches of the game. Um, and obviously they'll, uh, obviously they'll go into Ellie's sexuality and, and they'll go into Riley and, and more about Ellie's backstory and past, but I'm really interested to see what new bits we get. I, I feel like we could, we could get a lot of great stuff here. Yeah. I, I think I'd be a little surprised if they, show joel alive just because it's not really like this bit i think a better reveal would be her trying to trade for medicine, medicine. with david yeah, basically and, the game. yeah and that's when you realize oh he might still be alive so there's i think there's a decent chance this is just a full flashback episode um but also i'm really excited for it certainly the trailer the trailer was full flashback uh also i'm pretty sure we saw uh winston not the monkey, but the officer that taught Ellie how to ride horses. I'm guessing that's who she was talking to in that one scene. Who's like this officer that that sounded like a good guy, uh, even though maybe hopefully he's not in charge of the curriculum. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see. But, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this episode. I'm excited for what changes, what new things there could be. And uh, it's not going to be any less emotional, though. <laughs> I thought for a while we were going to keep it under two hours, and it looks like we've gone over. Maybe with the editing, it'll be Just under. Barely. We'll see. Anyway, uh, if, if you're still listening, we love you. Thank you so much. Please be sure to leave us five-star reviews. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Please be sure to send in your mailbags. Um, we really appreciate it. We love talking about this stuff each week. I'm having a blast doing this podcast, and I'm having a blast watching this show. Even though it loves to hurt me, I love to I love to let it hurt me. It's great. It's a good kind of hurt. You guys have been amazing. I Thank you so much for all the support you guys continue to give us. We'll be back as always next week to recap Left Behind. Uh, But for Tom, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great week, everybody.